Father, we thank you for this day that you. Hello, everybody. If you're a guest with us and you're wondering why the people around you just sighed and looked at their watch, <laughs> let me introduce myself. My name is Matt Ward. I'm the associate pastor, and I only get to preach when David is either sick or out of town, so I tend to go long. But today, there is hope. <laughs> because I looked at David's long-term schedule for going through the Psalms. I said, this is a good schedule, so I only added one psalm to what he was already planning on doing today. So we can do this. Trust me. All right? But the truth is that we really we need to do this. Today we need to do this. We're in a summer in the Psalms, and the Psalms are prayers of worship, and we need to be honest with one another. We don't worship God enough. Not as a church, not as individuals, not as families. We just don't do it. The praise of God is not our priority. We can do this with some simple math. How long is a worship service on Sunday morning? It's an hour and 15 minutes, give or take. The vast majority of that time, y'all spend sitting down and listening, politely. We're glad for that. But you are actively engaged in the praise of God for about ten minutes. And we have so many things that come up on our calendar that compete even for that time. We just don't praise God enough. Now, incidentally, that is why we ask everybody in worship, uh, in preaching time, in Bible reading time, that you are active listeners so that you're putting these things in your heart so that when you go home you can make that a part of your life. So you do this at home, hour by hour, day by day throughout the week. But we have a remedy. Psalm 14. If you all would open your Bible to Psalm 14, we're going to be in Psalm 14, 15, and 16. When I read those Psalms, I see a picture of life. Now, just to be sure, these psalms were not used together. Psalm 14 is a lament used by an individual. Psalm 15 was a part of an entrance ritual into the temple. And Psalm 16 was simply a, a prayer of praise for deliverance. But when I see them all together in a row in the Bible, I see a story about me. And we start with Psalm 14, the fool. Let me read this for us. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God, but all have turned aside. All have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Will evildoers never learn? Those who devour my people as men eat bread... And don't call on the Lord. There they are, overwhelmed with dread because God is in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Question number one, and you've got lots of notes to fill in because, come on. What makes a person a fool? 
has nothing to do with intelligence. There are lots of very intelligent fools out there. A fool is simply someone who does not believe in God. And we can identify, according to this psalm, a fool by his behavior. So I summarized it in six things for you to jot down. Take home. Ponder. Where the NIV says they are corrupt, that literally means they do corrupt acts. Which means that they slant things toward their own self-interest. So, point number one, they do corrupt acts. Number two, where it says their deeds are vile, that literally means they make a deed evil. It's the basic word for sin. It means that out of their heart, which is itself sinful, what they do becomes sinful. Because it's corrupted by the sin in their own heart. The next thing they do, self-explanatory, they do nothing good. Next, where the NIV reads, if there are any who understand, that literally means if there are any who act prudently. And so by extension, I mean they do nothing prudent. A prudent act is one that considers the consequences of the act. The fool doesn't care about the consequences of his act. Or at least he certainly doesn't care about the eternal consequences of his act. All right, everybody got those? Because once this slide goes away, it's gone. It's gone forever. You never have a chance again. This is your one shot. Actually, I'm going to give you a chance to finish writing those things down because we're going to take a step back. Who is saying this about the fool? Is it the psalmist? No, it's the psalmist reporting what God says. Verses 3 and 4 of this psalm should be in quotes. God is the one looking down on the earth and seeing nobody who is doing what he created them to do. And then this is how God defines what is prudent. Seeking after him and thanking him for his provision. The fool doesn't do that. So let's finish off our list. Number five. The fool does not seek God. And then to go along with that, the fool does not thank God. Instead, they're simply seeking their own good. But they're doing it at the expense of the poor, at the expense of the righteous. They don't care what damage they're leaving in their wake of getting what they desire, of making their voice heard. Not to worry, though. God is on their side. God is their refuge. God is in their presence. He will be with the righteous. But what happens to the fool? The next question. The fool will be excluded from the presence and the blessings of God. And that should only make sense. The fool doesn't believe in God. The fool doesn't care about eternal blessings because he doesn't believe in them. He cares about the here and the now. That is the ultimate definition of not prudent. Because guess what? Somebody is always watching. Your sin will always find you out. It might be a while. A lot of you are studying King David in Sunday school. 
And we talked this morning about King David's very, very great sins of adultery and murder. And we don't know why he thought he could get away with those things. We just don't know. He didn't get away with them. God is always keeping track. Now we're going to come back to this, so in the meantime, let's move on to Psalm 15. But before we do that, one last thing to make sure you all understand. This is really cool about the Bible. The opposite of folly in the Bible is not wisdom. The opposite of folly is kindness. And we have to make sure we understand that. Again, a lot of you recently had a Sunday school lesson on what kindness is. What are acts of kindness? Kindness is simply treating people with dignity and respect. A righteous person acts in kindness. A foolish person doesn't. So, with that, let's move on to Psalm 15, the righteous person. Let me read for us from Psalm 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart. He has no slander on his tongue. He does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man. He despises a vile man, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. So, the question, what makes a person righteous? Being blameless before God. Uh Uh-oh. Well, the definition of righteous is for lack of better terms, right with God. A righteous person is right with God. And so it only makes sense that only people who are right with God can be in the presence of God. The psalmist gives us six examples of what the life of a righteous person looks like. Number one, the righteous person speaks truth and not slander. In the Hebrew, there's also the phrase, in his heart, which means that you can't just say it. You actually have to believe it. You can't just speak truth because you're trying to get out of trouble. You must believe it. The person who is righteous doesn't slander others because he only speaks what he knows to be true. He's not casting around half-truths or potential lies on the folks around him. Number two, a righteous person does what is good not what is harmful. The word for wrong in the NIV literally means harm. A righteous person cares about the impact of his actions on other people, including the words he says. And so number three, a righteous person speaks kindly, not insultingly. Where the NIV says he casts no slur, that actually means anything that would be taken as an insult. So not just a racial slur, but anything that would be insulting. And so to this extent, and hear me out here, the politically correct crowd is right. 
it's not just what we say. It is what the other person hears. That does matter. When I say something that I find out later is offensive to somebody, maybe a phrase that I learned growing up or a habit of words that I picked up going through college and I find out later that it's actually offensive to a group of people, I actually try to change the way that I speak. I change those habits. And when I can, I go to a person and say, I am sorry I offended you with that phrase that I used. That's not what I meant. This is what I meant. Please forgive me for that. Now, where the politically correct crowd fails is that they don't accept the apology. And then that's maddening. I can't do anything about, though. I can only do about me. A righteous person cares what people hear. Not just the words that are coming out of my mouth, but the words that are going into your brain. A righteous person cares about the impact of their words. They never want to insult somebody. A righteous person wants to speak kindly. And the Bible says, very clear, to everybody. Fellow man is a term for every person. Every single person. Next. A righteous person will honor God's people and despise the reprobate. When the Bible says those who fear the Lord, it refers to people who respect and obey God. The word for reprobate is all those things we were just talking about when we talked about the fool. A fool is a reprobate. A reprobate is a fool. The righteous person doesn't idolize fools. Righteous person isn't out there caring about what the fools think should be and should not be. The righteous person waves the flag of the godly, rejects the perspective of the fool, takes on the perspective of the godly. All right, we're about to flip over. Everybody got that written down? Next, a righteous person will keep his promise. And I love this phrase, even when it hurts. Just let that sink in. And then finally, a righteous person does not abuse his authority. And there are two things that the Bible says to explain that, but both of them essentially mean the same thing. A righteous person doesn't take advantage of the poor by making a loan and charging excessive interest on it. And a righteous person doesn't take advantage of the innocent by being called for testimony and accepting a bribe against that innocent person. The righteous person who is in the authority of having the money or the credibility of testimony does not abuse those things. A righteous person speaks truth and treats people fairly and kindly. And now, I'll give you a second. Hands are still furiously coughing. What happens to the righteous person? Well, the righteous person will never be shaken from his hope in God. Now, what I want you to do when you go home is compare this description of the righteous with the description you have of the fool and see just how they are polar opposites of one another. It's pretty impressive how these two psalms mirror one another. We don't have time to dwell on that, though, right now, because we're moving on. It's time to put a twist on things, because I'm pretty sure some of you have already started tuning me out. It's okay, look, 
I'm no fool. So, boom. Now that's the problem. And that's where we are. We, we look at Psalm 14 and say, then we look at Psalm 15 and say, oh, that's nice. And we just go on with our lives. The New Testament doesn't let us do that. Specifically with these psalms. Paul uses the words from Romans 3 to say, we are all fools. It's the foundation of the gospel itself that people think that they're not a fool, but in fact they are a fool. So the next question you have there is, who is a fool? The answer, all of us. Who is righteous? None of us. Wait, what happened here? I was doing great until all of a sudden Paul jumps in. We say, I, I'm no fool. I believe in God. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Every time we fail to consider what God thinks about our action before we do it, we're essentially living as if there is no God who's paying attention to what we're doing. Every time we make a decision without consulting God, we're essentially saying, God, there's no God out there with anything to contribute to my thought process. Every harsh word we say, every mean-spirited message we send, every selfish desire we indulge, we're playing the fool. We're ignoring the consequences of our actions. How often are we really aware of God's presence in our lives? How many times a day do we stop to think about what God is doing around us? How many actions and decisions do we really run through the wisdom of God's Word? Well, not enough. Because it just takes one, and we're out of the category of the righteous and into the category of the fool. Have you ever bent what you thought was a righteous cause to your own self-interest? Have you ever failed to think about what your words or actions are going to do to somebody else before you do them? You ever cared more about what the world thinks than what God thinks? And this is the funny part. As little as we care about offending other people, we definitely don't care about offending God with our words or our actions. We will take on the values of a group regardless of what the Bible says. Hear me out on this. You all know that God's not a Republican, right? God's not a Baptist. God's not an American. God's not even white. God is above all of these things. He is the God of every human being. Every nationality. Every skin color. Every set of causes. Every wealth class. He is the God of all people. We don't expect God to change His values to match what we want. We change our values to match what God wants. When we don't, we're the fool. Out of the sin in our hearts, we can take anything and make it harmful. We can be right in our words and wrong in how we say them. We can have good intentions and pave the road to ruin all along the way. 
We can have the right ideas coming out of our mouth and not believe them. Friends, we can look around our community right now and see damage that righteous people have done to the people around them. And you probably don't have to think very hard for an example of somebody claiming to be righteous inflicting real harm with their words or their actions. It's because we are the fool. We are not the righteous. So what hope do we have? None in ourselves. But we have much hope in God. So thank God for Psalm 16. Let's read. This is what David says. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Hopefully you notice the little parentheses that I put in your notes on the me, if me is a Christian. Because the truth is these words don't apply to anybody who's not a Christian. Who's putting their hope and trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Now the challenge is it is almost impossible for us to put Psalm 16 into English. There's so much going on behind the scenes in the original language. There are actually two different people speaking in this psalm. The psalmist says the first part, keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. But then the psalmist turns and is reporting the words of a friend who thinks he's righteous. And this is what the friend is saying. I also say to the Lord, you are my Lord. But... To the rulers of the people of Israel, I say, you are my mighty ones. My glory is in you. You see, the friend here in verses 2 and 3 is talking out of both sides of his mouth. He's saying the righteous thing about God, but he's hedging his bet and also throwing out, well, you know what, the rulers of the land, I'm also trusting you as well. But then the psalmist comes back and hears his complaint to God. He says, Wait! They run after other gods. Their sorrows will only increase. I will not join them in their false worship. I will not call on their false gods. And that is 
really hard to put into English in a concise way, and that's why most of our versions of the Bible do Psalm 16 very differently from version to version. See, it's not God's people who are the problem here. It's the leaders of God's people who have brought in unbiblical worship practices. Some of them have even crowded God out of their worship. Why do they think they can get away with that? It's because they keep calling themselves the people of God. I am the people of God, therefore I'm okay. I can come into God's presence whenever I want, however I want, and I can do whatever I want when I'm there, because I'm the people of God. As if God doesn't care. Do we tend to do that today, by the way? Now, the logical response to being afraid of, boy, well, I don't want to do that, is to go full Psalm 15 and say that God is so holy that only a blameless person can enter into God's presence. Well, that's all of us. (laughs) This isn't working out so well, because we're the fool. We're not the righteous. We're not worthy to be in God's presence. And yet, here's David. Good old king blood on his hands, David, Just all blissful, I'm in the presence of God. How in the world is he saying this after all the things that he's done in his life? What does he know that we don't know? Well, our hope is in God. I don't think David knew exactly how that worked. In fact, I'm pretty sure he didn't. We do know how it works because we're on the other side of the cross. So we get to have the rest of the story. Our confidence is in God, but it is in God the Son, Jesus Christ. So, here's the question. What does the life of this sort of a person, which should be me, what does this person's life look like? All right, I'm going to summarize this again in six points. Number one, I will... Worship God alone. I will thank God for my blessings. I will be content with my place, with what God has given me, with what God has done for me. And I will trust in God's counsel. Give you a second to write those down. This is a psalm of confidence. But it's not a psalm of confidence in me. Get this. It's a psalm of confidence in God. I mean, look, look at these things. Are these things that we can do? Yes. Yes, they are. Not just can we, but should we? Last two. I will rejoice in God. And then finally, I will trust God for salvation. Now, I'm going to tell you the beauty of this psalm. And I want you to think about this. In fact, I want you to go home and ponder this. If you do these things, will your life look like the life of a righteous person from Psalm 15 or the life of a fool from Psalm 14? I'll tell you, you do these things, Your life is going to look like the righteous person in Psalm 15. 
If you don't, you will live the life of a fool. It's so simple. Go home and ponder that because we've got to move on. I'm determined that I'm going to keep to a schedule today because I really need to get to the most amazing part. Here's the most amazing part. You are hopefully sitting there saying, Preacher, didn't you just call me a fool? Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> and yes, kids, Ben is right. Don't call people fools. But the Bible can call us a fool. The Bible wants to call us a fool. Because in the New Testament, we learn that we're not the ones who move ourselves from the camp of the fool to the camp of the righteous. We get moved from one to the other. And that is the good news. This is how Peter put it. He said that God called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once we were not a people, but God made us the people of God. We can call ourselves the people of God all we want, but the people of God are the ones that God has made His people. God is the one who does this. And Peter used Psalm 16 at Pentecost to declare the Gospel to the very astonished hearers, not really sure what he was saying or what it meant. Jesus was blameless before God. Jesus was not a fool. Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God. He chose to die in our place. But God did not abandon Him to the dead. God did not leave Him in the grave. God raised Jesus to life and Peter saw it. And Peter saw Jesus ascend into heaven to the right hand of God. He saw God do these things for Jesus. And Peter knew that because God did this for Jesus, God will do this for everyone who follows Jesus. We will not be left in the grave. We will not see decay. We will be raised to life again because Jesus is the first fruit of a great harvest of souls that God is bringing to Himself. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be raised to eternal joy in the presence of God. That is why we will not be shaken. But there's more. Love this stuff. Are we still just a little bit discouraged looking at the track record of our life and our churches, seeing all the damage that we still do? I know I am. Well, God is a trinity. It's not just God the Father and God the Son. He's also God the Holy Spirit. Jesus told His disciples, it's better for you that I go away because when I do, I will send the Counselor to you and He will guide you in all truth. Guess what? Those are the same concepts that in Hebrew we find here in verse 7, I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night my heart instructs me. You see, God knows that we're fools. But God has given us all the tools. We don't have to be a fool. 
Everyone who comes to Jesus for salvation, he gives a new heart and a new mind. The Holy Spirit, Psalm 15, is not a dream for us. It is an expectation. When we rely on the guidance and the strength and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, we live the life of a righteous person. But we're always given a choice. We can choose to live life in our own brains and based on our own strength. And if you're at all like me, you know how you get when you get tired and cranky. We don't have to and should not live that way. That's not how God wants us to live. That's our decision. But even when we do, it gets even better. Even when we do fail, even when we do fall, we don't lose hope in salvation because our salvation is not based on our ability to keep it. Our salvation is based on God's ability to keep us. And God is very strong. When we fail, we repent. We turn from that sin. We turn to Jesus and He forgives us. And so we are secure. And we will never be shaken. So in your notes, this is again just for you to take home and think about this, I give you how Psalms 14, 15, and 16 all share the Gospel with us. And I give you the verses, the corresponding verses in the New Testament to clarify some things. Psalm 14, all have sinned. Psalm 15, our sin separates us from God. But Psalm 16, Jesus made a way. He made a way for us to be brought back to God. And when we trust in Him, we can have confidence in in our salvation. And so finally, the result. What is it that ties ties all three of these psalms together. What is the outcome of Psalm 16? Well, what happens? The psalmist will praise the Lord. His tongue will rejoice in God. The premise of Psalm 15. Someone desiring to enter the sanctuary to worship God. What is the result of Psalm 14? God's people will rejoice in Him. So, what do we do now? We worship God in result for all that He has done for us. I listed a few of the psalms. I just started writing down and flipping through. Wow, look at all these psalms saying these things. Psalm 18. I love You, Lord. My strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Are you discouraged? Go to the Psalms. Are you ever feeling distant from God? You ever doubt yourself? Go to the Psalms. The Psalms take you to God and they give you words of worship that restore your heart. I stopped at Psalm 51 because David was, King David was on my mind. And those of you guys in Sunday school, the same thing. Because here's David. David has just been caught 
from committing adultery and then murder to cover up his adultery. And this is what he says in Psalm 51. I'm going to start reading in verse 10. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Do you want to be the Christian who just leaves a trail of anger and hurt in your wake? Well, then just keep on tacking. Talking and acting out of your own brain. Go for it. Don't care about your words. Let them continue to cause damage in our world that is damaged enough. But if you don't want to be a fool, then set your mind on the Spirit. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Let your words be words of worship to God. Do you want to be a light in our community? Do you want to bring life to the circle of friends that you have? Do you want to be a rock who is never shaken in times that are very shaky? That's how. We choose one time to accept the gift of God's salvation so that our eternal soul can be in the presence of God. But we choose every day to let God fill us with His Spirit of truth and power to live a righteous life and to bring life to our broken world. That's the story that we get in Psalms 14, 15, and 16. It's a beautiful story. And if you're like me, you've got a lot to think about. And I don't know what that is. Maybe you've realized that you have gotten distant from God and you've stopped really caring about what God thinks about your words or your actions. In a little bit, we're going to sing a song of invitation. Just stop where you are and pray. Repent. Come back to God and ask God to guide you in these days to come closer to Him. Just do that right where you are. Maybe you've realized that you're distant from God because you are not associating with God's people. And you think, well, I can associate with God's people here at First Baptist Church in Thompson, Georgia. Well, then come on. Join with us. When we sing, come on up here. Ben is going to be standing up here. Just talk to Say, Ben, I want to be a part of what's going on at First Baptist Church. He'll tell you how. But most importantly, maybe you've realized that the reason I feel more like a fool than a righteous person is because I don't have a relationship with God. Maybe it's become clear to you today. You need to come to Jesus. Come on up here. Ben is going to be right here. Say, Ben, what do I need to do to not be a fool? He's got the answers. Whatever that decision is that you need to make as a result of what we've heard today from these psalms, let's make it together. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful 
that in your word you've given us hope, but you've also given us truth. You've told us that we don't have the right to decide for ourselves what is true. You've told us that we don't have the ability to move ourselves from the company of the fool to the company of the righteous. But you've told us that you can move us in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us search our hearts right now. Help us see all the different ways that we have failed you. Help us to see the harm that we have caused with our words. And help us to realize that we don't have to continue living there. Lord, speak to us now. And reveal to us the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Let's all stand together. Sing the song.